This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. This is part three of our four-part technology and finance discussion with Wharton International Management Professor Mauro Guillen and PwC partner Elizabeth Dieppe. Here, we take a look at the impact on financial capability. So let's turn now to the impact that technology and finance have on financial capability. We are taping this podcast in April, which also happens to be Financial Capability Month. And I think it's a good idea to explore some broader questions about the impact of technology on people's ability to process economic information and make informed decisions about their money. Um, so let's dive deeper into this question of technology versus human touch. Think the bank teller handshake versus the computer keyboard. How much of a role does human interaction play in influencing financial behavior? And what role does the physical bank branch still play in educating young consumers? Liz? Thanks, Anne. I think this is one of those questions that, uh, unfortunately, the answer comes down to it depends. <laughs> and it very much depends on, on what generation we, we're referring to and what transactions we're looking at. The reality is that banks, uh, they've struggled and are balancing automation with that human touch. And uh, we've seen some data where 60% of great experiences uh, with a bank are still attributable to great staff interactions at the bank branches themselves. And so we often hear a viewpoint that traditional bank branches are going to disappear, giving all of that innovation that we're seeing in, in banking technology. Um, yet, you know, despite the emergence of all that new technology and, and competition and models, I think we believe on the research that we've conducted still shows that traditional banks uh, have a bright future and that the fundamental concept of this trusted institution acting as a store of value and a source of finance and a facilitator of transactions is not about to change. But it certainly will evolve. You know, much of the landscape will change significantly, and a lot of that is really in response to these forces of consumer expectations. And it's coming through technology and, and demographics, you know, the shifting economics and, and how young people are really impacting and are using technology today. And so banks need to choose what posture to adopt against this change, whether to be, you know, shaper of the future, you know, change with technology, um, or manage defensively, putting off this change. But the reality is that staying the same is not really an option. I'll tell you that the most affluent and educated segment of the society that is nearing or in retirement right now with many assets and complex financial needs value that banking experience. You know, this segment wants the specialized treatment, the human interaction, and some digital support, but value much more that human one-on-one -on -one branch interaction that we've seen traditional, traditionally. Whereby when we look at the younger segment with many in college or even in high schools, you know, lower earning, really building a future, um, they're looking for efficiency. Whatever will get them the answer faster with the shortest waiting time, which is often mobile access. So with, with limited assets, this, this group of individuals really are looking for how quickly can I get, can I get the answers that I need um, and are looking for the cheapest and the best rates that you can get from banking technology. And so I'll say that to better understand 
these consumer preferences, either whether online banking or more of a face-to-face interaction on how they affect customers' engagements with their banks. Uh, we, we looked at some research that was done by Gallup. Uh, they conducted a nationwide retail banking study that really explored what channels customers prefer to use and what were those transactions that customers look to either go online for or go into a branch. And what the analyst suggests is that banks should try not to push customers uh, from doing what they feel most comfortable with. And what that means is if, if an individual feels comfortable opening or closing a bank account in a physical branch, don't push some of those transactions online. And in reality, what we found is that three out of four customers prefer interacting in person when it comes to opening or closing an account or going opening a bank loan of some sort. But when it comes to paying bills, receiving statements, et cetera, mail or online interaction is what's the preferred method. So as you can see, very much whether it's a personal, physical experience or online experience, very much depends on what generation we're thinking about and what transactions we're talking about uh, and, and how comfortable each one of those segment groups are with this digital technology. So a follow-on question might be, how far do you feel technology can take us in terms of expanding the financial capability of consumers? Yeah, yeah. I think that the reality is that there's still a significant gap between the number of people who have physical access to financial services and the, act, and the numbers that actually use them. Um, already existing technologies could make financial services available anytime, any place, and at a lower price than ever before. But this development in technology is opening doors for millions of people who were previously excluded, either because of location or, quite honestly, pricing. Um, so because of this, there really never been a better time to be a financial consumer, in my, in my opinion. I think that the advances in technology have allowed individual consumers to access many of the same tools that are previously only available to professionals. I think I mentioned that before, and, and I think that consumers today with, you know, with a brokerage account and a computer can create an incredible portfolio uh, with research ideas and can discuss and share ideas openly with the masses and get ideas. And honestly, we're doing all this for free. Um, I think that the proliferation of financial information and advice is to such a degree that anyone with an interest can obtain an understanding uh, of financial tools, of options that you have right from your own computer, right? Um, there's so many periodicals now online, things like Money Magazine and, and Kiplinger's are ones that many individuals, and we see the millennials that we work with, um, access articles online and for free. So anyone right now with a computer can put their ideas into the Internet and really put their money to work. I think that in terms of making decisions, investors now have access to much more information and a network of available professionals than ever before. So I think that if consumers are willing to embrace these enhancements in technology, they will find that they're now able to expand their financial capabilities a great deal and get access to financial data and advice that was previously only available to a pretty exclusive group. So socioeconomic challenges accompany the increased use of financial technologies. For instance, children from wealthy families are more likely to have access to computers and other high-tech tools. Laverne Dixon, a teacher in Pennsylvania, asks, how can we ensure broader access to technology for self-banking and other services? Mara? Well, this is a very important issue, and I'd like to answer the uh, the question uh, that... Um, 
uh, Laverne has uh, posed uh, in two steps. So the first step is, yes, when you compare different kinds of people within a given country, let's say here in the United States, it is undeniably true that uh, some people have access to all of the latest technologies, all of the latest gadgets. Uh, they have a better internet connection and so on and so forth. Uh, smartphone use in the United States is not universal, although a lot of people have a phone. Um, we still have a significant proportion of the population using the uh, old-fashioned phones as opposed to smartphones. So their functionality is, is a little bit limited. Uh, the only thing that can be done, obviously, is to, uh, I think, uh, uh, approach the problem from two perspectives. One is uh, for regulators to continue putting a lot of pressure on the providers of services, meaning telecommunications firms and uh, internet service providers and so on and so forth, so that they compete on price. Okay, so it's important to make sure that mergers, uh, it's important to make sure that whatever decisions these companies make actually in the end benefit the consumer through uh, lower prices. Uh, and the other is, I think, uh, to um, help uh, people understand the use of these technologies. So education is also very important, and I think high school teachers can play a very important role in this. But there's another aspect that, uh, a second way of answering the question that I want to uh, bring to your attention, which is that when you look at the... Uh, uh, when you compare in the world poor countries and rich countries, such as the United States, you find something quite astonishing, which is that the use of uh, mobile phones, for instance, for making payments is so much more widespread in poor countries than in the United States. Um, the example that everybody mentions is Kenya, where about half of the population uses the phone to make payments. And that's a much higher proportion than here in the United States. But the reason for that is not that the Kenyans are just better at technology. Uh, the reason for that is that in Kenya, there wasn't a traditional banking sector to begin with. Only 5 or 7% of the population had a bank account. And when um, mobile technology came along about seven or eight years ago, then people didn't have to abandon their old habits. They were just acquiring a completely new way of uh, uh, handling their money uh, whereas before they would just uh, physically move the cash as opposed to use the banking system. Uh, so the reason why sometimes we see this leapfrogging right, of uh, less developed markets uh, actually you know, uh, surging ahead in terms of use of these new technologies is because there's no legacy costs. Right? There's no habits that need to be changed. Uh, and I think that's important to be kept in mind. That is to say that the picture of inequality is very important to consider, but that sometimes you get surprised, and sometimes the poor are actually early adopters of the new technology, and the reason for that is that um, you know, they didn't have uh, any access to any kind of technology to begin with uh, in, uh, in the past, and so it's easier for them to adopt uh, the, uh, this uh, new uh, you know, mobile technology that is, uh, has become available over the last uh, eight years or so. Mm, that's really interesting. So what would you, Mara, what would you recommend to a teacher who needs to kind of address this socioeconomic difference within their own classroom? Maybe they have a certain population of students that have more access to technology, whereas, you know, others don't. And what might be some advice you would give them? Well, I think they need to emphasize that there's something that governments can do about it, and to be more specific, regulators can do about it. That is to say, to make sure that there's enough competition in the provision of uh, both financial services and telecommunication services, uh, so that then prices come down and ultimately uh, the consumer benefits. That's going to benefit everyone if prices come down, right? And it's going to make everything more affordable. 
Uh, and then this, the other thing is uh, education, uh, you know, is a cure for everything. Uh, so what high school students need to hear, I think, is that uh, in spite of what uh, sometimes you read in the newspapers, um, you get better jobs if you're educated and you get higher incomes if you're educated. And therefore, the way to enjoy all of the good things in life is to get an education and to uh, make sure that you have uh, the skills that are uh, in demand in the 21st century. And by the way, what we also know from research is that more educated people uh, also get, uh, uh, you know, take uh, advantage of these new technologies to a greater extent than people with uh, uh, a lower educational level. So I think education is really the key variable. And given that the questions are coming from high school teachers, I think, uh, you know, we should, you know, um, encourage them to uh, continue working as hard as they, as they normally do uh, at educating, uh, you know, young people. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.